Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. <sighs> Here we are. It is the last vlog before the book comes out. And uh, the topic I've chosen to talk about today is my soul journey. And I'm realizing that it's not really something I've talked about much here on the vlog. I've been putting out a weekly blog for well over two years. Um, and every week I have not missed one in all that time. Um, and I talk about all kinds of topics. I talk about topics that you write in when you send me questions. I talk about things that come to mind, things that are going on in Brightline Eating Land. And uh, this week I want to talk about my soul journey and in particular my walk with God, which is not something that I really have ever talked about at all here. And um, yet on the week that is the eve of the launch of the book, Bright Line Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin and Free, it occurs to me that there is nothing more pertinent to talk about. It also happens to be the Baha'i Fast. And you may know that I'm a Baha'i and it's our time of year of fasting. And so spiritual matters are really um, up at the surface for me right now. So um, I think maybe I don't talk about God much in my vlog because um, I'm very careful to keep bright line eating God neutral in the sense that, um, you know, I know that not everybody believes in God and I'm not interested in arguing about theology or um, differences of belief. As a matter of fact, I, I prefer personally to take a very unifying approach to matters of faith and God. Um, as a matter of fact, when I first was starting to believe in God, when I was 20 years old, um, I was warring inside myself about the different religions and feeling very frustrated and confused um, and averse to it all, just didn't really want any part of it. And I realized inside myself that the only way that I personally was going to come to believe in God at all was to decide, literally a top-down decision, just decide that I believe in the God that everyone believes in, who believes in God, that, that the God to which all prayers ascend, like the the sort of superset. I was, I was a mathematician in my head thinking about God. I was thinking, I'm going to believe in the superset of all gods. Like all of the gods take all of the gods and then the superset of all that, that's what I believe in. All of it. Um, and with that decision, I put down my battle against specific sects or denominations or faith traditions or whatever, because I had already decided I believed in all of it. So there was no fighting it anymore. Um, and so I, I don't like to argue about God at all, and I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable about God or matters of faith. And I like to typically choose language that's very neutral. And um, and in Bright Line Eating, there's no explicit inclusion of faith at all, um, except to say the science, which is that prayer boosts willpower. So if you are a believer in the moment when you're having a food temptation, pray and it will help. Um, but other than that, and there's always sort of a little asterisk at the end of it, if you're not a believer, try a couple minutes of meditation. That will do it too. Try getting into service. That will do it too. Try writing a gratitude list. That will do it too. Try calling or texting a friend. That will do it too. All of those things are scientifically validated to boost willpower in the moment. But other than that tiny little mention of prayer when it comes to like our emergency action plan and how to make it through a tough situation without eating our brains out and eating addictively, other than that, really, 
um, faith has been pretty much entirely left out of Brightline eating. Um, for the last couple years in March, when Baha'is fast, I have done a vlog or written a blog about the fast and a little bit about what that means to me and about how I fast and different aspects of fasting when it comes to bright line eating. But other than that, I, I've really never talked about this. So I just wanted to share. Um, I did not always believe in God at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I sort of vehemently rejected God when I was a kid. Um, certainly religions. I remember when I was five asking my mom, literally I was five, I was super concerned. I'd found out that people who believed in Jesus believed that if you didn't believe in Jesus, you were going to hell. And I was concerned about all the people in China because it seemed to me that maybe they hadn't heard about Jesus. And I was worried that people who believed in Jesus believed that the people in China were all going to hell. And the, the conflict of that just disturbed me tremendously. Um, and my poor mom, like we weren't even, we didn't go to church, we weren't Christian or anything. And my mom was like trying to answer my question about do Christians believe that the, the billion people in China are going to hell? Um, <laughs> I don't remember what she said. I just remember being concerned about it. But um, my, my memory of growing up is that the word God gave me hives. That's how I felt. Like it sort of gave me a little tweak in my neck. And um, you've probably heard my story. Um, if not, it's in the you know, the introduction to my book, but, um, you know, I have a very addictable brain and I was overweight at the age of 12 and I started using drugs at the age of, of 14, A, to have fun, B, to connect with people because I was socially not a good connector, but drugs helped and C, to lose weight. The first drug I ever did, I dropped seven pounds overnight doing mushrooms all night. And that stuck in my head as like, oh my gosh, what a solution I've just found. So fast forward to the age of 20 now, Crack addict, call girl, dropped out of high school, drug-induced psychosis, crazy in my head, still don't want to give up the drugs because I'll get fat. And I found myself at the biggest turning point of my life. It was August 9th, 1994, and I was in a crack house, and I'd been there for four days, smoking. And I had a shaved head, and a blonde wig on my head. And there was a couple kicking heroin over to the side. They were sort of twitching and shaking. There was crack rock on the table. There was a bottle of Jack Daniels still on the counter. And um, I was all sucked up and skinny from the drugs. And what happened in that moment, in that turning point, was nothing more than a visit from reality. Just that moment is exactly as it was. Nothing added to it. Just the moment opened up in front of me and I became aware of it. And I saw the state of my condition and what had become of my life and the, the dreams I'd had of going to Harvard and getting a PhD in astrophysics and you know, contributing something to the world and making something of myself. All of those youthful ambitions were there too. And then who I was and what I was and what I was up to and what my life had become was right there in front of my face. And in that moment of seeing the moment for what it was, there was also this um, knowing so deeply 
that if I didn't get up and get out of there right then, that that's all I was ever going to be. And I felt it. And I knew it. And I wasn't ready to stop living this thing called life. I wasn't ready to give up on my dreams of having a life and doing something with it. And I got my jacket and I walked out the door. And in that moment, I did not believe in God. But I was on a path, unbeknownst to me, that led me later that night to be on a date with a really cute guy that I'd met at a gas station at three in the morning. And on that first date, he took me to a 12-step meeting for drug and alcohol addiction. And I haven't had a drink or a drug since that day, August 9th, 1994, 22 and a half years ago. And my life turned. Now, I didn't know at that day, I didn't know right then what a turning point that was going to be. I did not know that 20 some odd years later, I'd be talking about that moment as the defining moment of my entire life. I feel like turning points are often like that. You don't necessarily know them when they happen. They build significance over time as you cement the change with new ways of being and new ways of, of approaching the world. And the biggest change that actually came out of that turning point was me starting to try to develop a belief in God. Because I went to 12-step meetings and they told me that basically I had to, that I was going to die an alcoholic crack addicted death if I didn't find a power greater than myself that would restore me to sanity. And I roiled against that idea for a while. And at the same time, the notion that there was something taking care of me was sinking in. It was starting to be apparent through little things, little moments of grace, little, little like kisses from the universe. I started to see them. I'd never seen them before. And all of a sudden they were all around. All of a sudden my eyes were open to like the little, the little moments of just being touched by God that happen if your eyes are open to see them. And I started to build up a God of experience of asking God for help and receiving it over and over and over again. And the muscle started to get stronger of like, ask and ye shall receive. Things that were hard for me, like enrolling in community college and going back to get my education. And I remember sitting with a calculus textbook in my lap, crying, just asking God for help, wanting some cocaine so badly so I could get through the moment and not picking up. And thus started a 20-year span of time of... I look back now, I think, preparation. I really gave up my ambitions of leading a big life of, you know, contribution and glory and um, somehow really decided that figuring out how to be a productive member of society was for me living a big life. Like if I could just do that, if I could just learn how to be a friend to friends and a worker at a job and learn how to get an education and learn how to, you know, have a relationship and maybe have some kids. And 
that all sounded so fantastical to me, you know, when I started my journey, you know, with the shaved head and the piercings everywhere and, you know, avowed bisexual, completely counterculture, like get married. Oh, not me. You know, who are you talking about? No. For me, suddenly, like just learning how to live within society felt like the biggest challenge in my entire life. So for 20 years, I worked at that. I went back to school. I got 4.0s at UC Berkeley, spoke at the graduation, ended up getting a full ride to get my PhD in brain and cognitive sciences and studied how brains go so far off the rails. Like how could my brain have betrayed me so badly? And while I was studying all of that neuroscience and psychology and all of that stuff for my PhD, I was binging on cookie dough and stuffing my face with food uncontrollably and realizing this is not sober behavior. Like I am an, I'm a using addict with food so clearly, so clearly. My husband would be out of the house and I would be throwing together cookie dough ingredients, you know, taking the sugar and the flour and the butter in a bowl and mashing it up, cracking in a raw egg, dumping in some vanilla, mashing it up and eating it surreptitiously, powder all over the counters. And then when I knew he'd be coming home, I would, you know, scramble to clean it all up, but he would find me sort of passed out somewhere in front of the TV or something with the bowl in my lap and the spoon. And I knew I was a using addict and I couldn't stop. And I was getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And then I crossed over into obesity. So horrifying. I tried to run a marathon. I did run a marathon. I could, I could do just about anything except lose weight. <laughs> and those years of preparation, there are things that happened that I look back on now. They have significance to me now. At the time, they looked like just another stupid dead end. I joined a network marketing company and you know, listen to Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley tapes and, you know, read um, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich and, you know, started to like indoctrinate myself that I was going to be successful and all this stuff and didn't go anywhere. I spent tons of money, made almost nothing and, um, you know, took some really high quality vitamins for a while. And uh, what ended up happening, though, is that all these years later, you know, I, I, uh, I had some background in like thinking big and thinking about growing a movement. And when Bright Line Eating started, all of a sudden that little offshoot made sense. It was all making sense. It's like the mosaic of my life was taking form without me even seeing it, like without me even being aware. It's sort of like, you know, those, those, um, pictures that are, that are like, it's a human face, but it's made up of these tiny photographs. If you're really close to it, you can't even see what it is. And then you step back and you're like, oh, it's Einstein <laughs> or something. You know, you see the whole, the whole picture. I was so close to my life. I couldn't see the pattern it was forming. I had no idea of what the big picture was. I still may not, but I, I have a better sense. Like I'm stepping back far enough to see that it's Einstein. Now maybe Einstein's face is in a bigger mosaic. And later on in life, I'll step back and I'll see a different grand picture. So I lost my excess weight. I started helping other people to lose their excess weight, helped hundreds and hundreds of people. I started teaching a college course on the psychology of eating, became a tenured psychology professor, started doing research into the neuroscience of food addiction. And that brings me to my second major turning point in life. It was January 26th, 2014, 5 a.m. I was sitting in my morning meditation, 
another great tool that I learned on that, on that journey, those years of preparation, prayer, meditation, listen, talk, sharpen the saw, be present for the journey. I was meditating at 5 a.m. And clear as day, it doesn't always happen this clearly, but this time was this clear, clear as day, the universe said, write a book, bright line eating. And with that message, I was undulating with the, the desperate prayers of all the people praying for a solution to their food problem, praying for relief from the insanity and the misery, praying for something that made sense to explain why they could be so successful in every area of life. So kind, so accomplished, so able to get an education, so able to go to the gym, so able to do so many things and not able to lose weight and keep it off. Those prayers of God, there's got to be a solution to this. Lift this from me. Were waving through my body and I could feel the spread and the ripples of the influence that the information that I knew could have, the information that I was teaching in my college course on the psychology of eating that nobody talks about, the information on how the brain is blocking us from losing weight, how it is that successful, accomplished, amazing people could be struggling so hard with something as basic as not bending their elbow and putting the fork in their mouth one more time. How it is that our brain is blocking us from losing weight. And I I felt in my bones the impact that it could have. I felt it. And what happened for me from that turning point, unlike the first turning point, which felt very meandering because I came out of it in a crack addict fog, like I took me days and days and days and days and days to even orient to the fact of like, oh yeah, I'm not drinking or using anymore. And this one was very clear because I was pretty clear. I, I had a lot of um, foundation underneath me of listening and being responsive. And the next morning, I was up at 4.30 in the morning, actually 4.25, so that by 4.30, I could be writing my book proposal. And I didn't miss a day for months. And I wrote the book proposal. And then I learned I needed a platform. That really put a crick in my neck when I found out that I couldn't just write a good book. I just wanted to write a good book. Can't I just write a good book? No, you have to have a platform for anyone to read your book. So very, very resentfully and very reluctantly, I started my email list. The email list that you are probably on, the email list that 450,000 people, some odd people have joined in the last two and a half years. Very reluctantly, I started an email list and on August 5th of 2014, I launched it. And I stand here today on the eve of the release of the book, Bright Line Eating, feeling kind of, I don't want to say lost, but a little um, more unsure or doubting or unmoored than usual about my own personal faith journey. Not about God or the presence of God in my life. That's like unambiguous, so clear so clear, but about my religion. 
I became a Baha'i when I was 23 because I didn't, I didn't know that there was a religion that taught that all the prophets are the prophets of one God, sort of that superset God that I described that I had decided to claim. The Baha'i faith kind of teaches that. I was like, oh, cool. So I, you know, I enrolled. <laughs> and um, fast forward 18 years, and I'm now feeling like I'm not sure I believe all this. I'm not sure. And the feeling of certainty has left me. I had it before, and now I don't have it. And so I'm trying things. <laughs> I'm kind of back to the drawing board. I'm trying letting go of some of the obligations of the Baha'i faith, like obligate a certain prayer you're supposed to say every day. I tried letting go of it. What I found was that my heart missed it. My soul missed it. So I was led back to it. Okay. Certain things I've let go of, little practices you're supposed to do, and I don't miss them. <laughs> so I don't know what that data point means, right? I mean, one goes one way, one goes the other way. I don't know. What I do know is that the Baha'i faith taught me and my own soul journey has taught me to not fall in love with the lamp, to fall in love with the light. It's the light inside the lamp that's the beautiful thing. So whether it's the Baha'i faith or Christianity or some other lamp, I'm following the light. And the light is guiding me like it has always guided me. Before I knew it, and now that I'm aware of it, it's guiding me still. And one thing I'm aware of on this journey is that I often feel like I know why I'm being led in a certain direction. Because it seems obvious, right? It seems obvious to me that, you know, write a book called Bright Line Eating is guidance about writing a book called Bright Line Eating. And what I have to say about that is sometimes maybe it's not. Maybe we get called in a certain direction because it's, it's the calling that we'll hear, that will get us taking a step in that direction. But really, it's for some other purpose. Maybe writing a book called Bright Line Eating was about building the movement of Bright Line Eating, offering boot camps and starting a community so people could support each other all around the world in learning this new way of life, learning how to live happy, thin, and free. Because I tell you, even if the book never came out, it sure looks to me like there's a lot of purpose in what we've been doing here, a lot of meaning, a lot of grace, a lot of divinity, a lot of, like, right on this. <laughs> So maybe the book was what would get me moving in that direction. And on the path, I was going to read that paragraph in that book called How to Write a Book Proposal that said, platform, you need to write a section on a platform. What's your platform? Describe it. And I set out to, write, to build a platform so I would have something to write in that paragraph. Maybe that was the purpose. Maybe there's some other purpose that's behind it. I don't know. I am grateful, very grateful, that in these moments of doubt that I'm having, in these moments of feeling unmoored with my own faith and my own religion, that deeper down than that, my connection to spirit feels so solid.
And it wasn't that long ago, it was a couple few weeks ago that I didn't necessarily feel, feel that. I felt like if I take away the Baha'i prayers and if I take away the structures and the rituals of the, of the religion that I've been following for the last 18 years, will I still know how to talk to God? Will I know, will I still have that connection there? And the answer is, yeah, it's still there. Because I'm in love with the light, not with the lamp. So, the next time I do a vlog, maybe it will be another turning point. I don't know. The book will be out. Maybe it'll just be a continuity, continuation of the building of this movement. Maybe that was the point all along. Maybe something will have changed. Maybe nothing will have changed. Either way, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you for being here with me on this amazing journey. Thank you for listening to a little bit of my soul journey. Maybe I'll talk about it a little bit more often. I do know that for me, God is right there with what I eat or don't eat. If I'm having a craving or a temptation or, you know, ridiculous quantities of not my food are calling to me, God help me. Relieve that obsession. Help me to stay grounded in you. Point me in a useful direction. That's my prayer. So for me, my connection to God has everything to do with my Bright Line Eating journey. Everything to do with it. In every way. At every level. I'm excited to see what next week brings. And again, I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for being a part of this movement. I love you. I'm really excited about next week. I hope you'll be with me on the live stream in New York City. I think we'll put a link down below just in case you want to register for that. I'm going to be giving a talk called The Science of Sustainable Weight Loss, Past, Present, and Future. What we've known, what we don't know yet, what we need to know about the science of sustainable weight loss. Join me next week, and I'll see you then.